1: Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com.
2: Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com.
3: What valves are opening? What valves are closing? Um, Could they be inoculating these things into our beer? We didn't know the extent of what the wild yeast could do. Once you get to the point where you have literally taken apart the centrifuge twice, you've swabbed a hundred different things, then you start looking at the things that shouldn't be possible. This week on the
0: show, Goose Islands hunt for the source of a wild yeast contamination.
3: Hi, my name is Joey Today. um, I'm the Lead Lab Analyst at Goose Island Brewing Company in Chicago, Illinois. Hi, my name is
4: Alex Nam. I'm the Lead Projects Quality Analyst at Goose Island Beer Company in Chicago, Illinois.
0: How did you guys first realize there was a problem?
4: Just kind of beginning to notice the same wild yeast colony show up after the uh, separator. And it started to occur with multiple runs across multiple brew IDs, and it kind of never went away. And that's when we raised a flag collectively as the micro team. And when was that again? When did this first happen?
3: Uh, It was was like April 2018, I believe, was the first time that we saw this wild yeast come up on our plates. Had you ever seen anything like this uh, wild yeast colony before?
4: No, never seen anything like it. I've been at Goose Island for five years, uh, starting in 2015, and looking at the micro starting around 2016, and we'd never seen anything like that um, to begin with, and, and so consistently.
0: Okay. So what was the first thing you did?
3: Uh, so right off the bat, uh, we decided to flash pasteurize every brand, uh, no matter whether it's wild, uh, barrel age, uh, regular pale ales everything. Um, just as a precaution, we didn't know the extent of what the wild yeast could do um, or anything along those lines, so it was kind of just a preemptive flash everything. Obviously, you must have had a flash pasteurizer in the brewery
0: already.
4: Yeah. Uh, the flash pasteurizer is brought on for barrel-aged products, firm um, barrel-aged, as well as uh, wine barrel-aged, kind of our, our uh, wild line of beers, um, and we want to make sure that all beer was stable in package.
0: So going from you know not usually flash pasteurizing all of your other brands, how did that affect the flavor profiles? There must have been some brands that were different after flash pasteurization.
4: Uh, surprisingly, no. Um, it, you know we, we went through some trials to dial in the proper pasteurization unit and did trials. Um, and this was kind of done beforehand. As well to kind of understand our flash pasteurizer uh, to understand the sensory impacts of pasteurization and we really did not you know we sent all these samples through our our sensory panel we did not discern any major significant differences as far as sensory goes between pasteurized and unpasteurized
0: all right well that's pretty awesome but i guess it's not awesome that you suddenly had to shove all of your beer through that unit though right
4: Right, that's correct. So normally we don't flash pasteurize everything, in particular stainless brews, but since this wild yeast contamination popped up, we were forced to use the flash pasteurizer for
3: everything. And, it, and it's a relatively you know, inefficient system in terms of how long it takes the manpower to do it. Um, so now flashing, oh, at this point flashing everything was um, definitely delaying a lot of brewing processes that we were used to kind of uh, shoving through the brewery quickly.
0: Yeah. Okay, so you knew it was coming from something related to the
3: centrifuge process. How did you attack it? So once we figured out that it was uh, not coming up in our centrifuge inlet, but it was starting at our centrifuge outlet, it kind of gave us a rough idea of where this was um, isolated to. And from there, we decided to just take apart um, like our our centrifuge inlet outlet, uh, Zwickle's, um a lot of the hard piping around that area, um, basically, we wanted to see like directly where we're pulling these samples from that have hits. Is there any biofilm? Um, anything there's a lot of could,
0: there's a lot of parts there, too. I mean, you've got a lot of valves and gauges and sensors and stuff. It's not just a simple line, right? A
3: ton, yeah. yeah. and um, we did a lot of a lot of swabbing, sterile swabbing, um, just to try to to isolate it and figure out where this is coming from. Uh, I think right off the bat we were. Really hoping we would just see a huge, nasty chunk of biofilm just right in front of us. But um, everything was surprisingly clean in the area. Um, it was very—it's a lot cleaner than I thought it'd be. I guess I'll just say that. So
0: how exactly did you know that the source of the contamination wasn't upstream from the centrifuge? Was it just because you didn't see any in the, in the inlet samples, or was there some other way that you confirmed that?
4: We weren't entirely sure that it wasn't upstream of the separator. Um, seeing that the separator removes solids from beer, we our uh, outlet samples, are the sample volume is plated at a much higher volume compared to our inlet. So we tried to subject our inlet samples to the same plating technique as our outlet samples by membrane filtration. That way we could increase our sample size and, and check if the wild yeast was there. Uh, after doing so, we did not see the wild yeast pop up on our inlet, um, which was a good sign, I think, but we weren't 100% convinced that it was, it was uh, isolated to the separator.
0: In parallel to hunting for the source of the contamination, you were also trying to figure out what exactly it was. Talk about that.
3: The, the wild yeast we were observing, um, we got kind of lucky with it because it was morphologically it was very unique. Um, just the color and the texture of it. Uh, so it made it really easy for Alex and I to see it on a plate, an auger, and kind of put in our notes that that was specifically the yeast we were looking for. Um, made it really easy to track it. And uh, from there, we, we did run it on yeast PCR just to get an idea of what we uh, could possibly be dealing with. And that's about the extent of what we did with it in terms of, I'm figuring out what exactly it was, but it came up as some sort of candida picia strain. Um, from there, we, it really wasn't as important to us that we know exactly what it was, um, more or less just how we could eradicate it from a sanitation standpoint. Fair enough. All right, so now it's time to take that
0: centrifuge apart. Was that a routine procedure or a frightening new frontier?
3: Um. So that was a frightening and exciting frontier. Uh, we definitely, <laughs> yeah, we definitely didn't have um, the the tools or you know the the complete knowledge of the inner workings of that centrifuge. I mean, we knew roughly, but taking it apart, I mean, it's it's huge. It's really heavy. It's huge. We don't want to we don't want to break it. So uh, we had the company come in and basically, as a PM, uh, take it apart, and then I kind of just stood there sterile swabs in hand and as he took each part off I would kind of visualize it see if there's any biofilm um, give it a sterile swab Yeah. did the technician know where to look I mean this is one of those
0: situations where you hope you get the equivalent of like click and clack from car talk you know they've seen it before and they know exactly where to find it
3: Um, this one was kind of a mystery for them too so I think we were all learning a little bit at this point alright so what did you find inside that disassembled separator we found an incredibly clean centrifuge um (laughs) even the tech said it was cleaner than a lot of the ones he's seen as he goes on his pm visits um very clean maybe a couple little pieces of organic matter um but nothing too much i swabbed them and they were they were clean so yeah it was very clean no biofilms nope none all right
0: so you have to put this thing back together without a smoking gun huh
3: um,
4: yeah, we uh, we were a little let down after the PM visit with the tech um, that there's no obvious sign of contamination. So we buttoned everything back up, continued with our our approach as far as flash pasteurizing everything. We did start to dive into some of the utility lines that fed the separator, um, things like DA water, CO2, um, I believe the city water that, that would kind of flush the entire system. Um, so, started looking at, looking at those utilities, didn't find anything again. Um, and that's how long did we, it
0: take, by the way, to, to take that unit uh, apart and put it back together? Was that a day or days or weeks? What, did the, <laughs> what was that like?
4: Uh, if I recall, I believe it was an entire day, um, just one tech. And uh, yeah, it took the entire day to took, take the entire thing apart. Um, and also, something that they normally don't do is disassemble the entire disk stack. Now I'm thinking about it, it, may have been two days, but the disk stack, I think there's something like 40 or 50 different, like conical stainless plates. Um, and they don't normally touch that, I believe, but we disassembled each and every single plate to look for anything and, and we found nothing. So what now? Uh, well, Brewing wanted to take a different approach. They, they wanted to go the nuclear option and worked with our chemical supplier. To basically increase the intensity of our CIPs, so that's kind of using a different uh, reagents and CIP chemicals, increasing uh, intensity, temperature, uh, velocity, and duration.
0: How'd that it's, work out?
4: It didn't. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we continue to see the wild yeast contamination um, after these kind of high intensity CIPs, uh, which again was a bit of a lo- which was a letdown.
0: You had some challenges ruling out your green beer supply line to the centrifuge. Tell us about that.
4: Yeah, so to, to go back to our uh, doubt of if this contamination was occurring upstream of the separator, we employed some different media to examine our green beer line to see if the contamination was somehow occurring at that point, and we were just missing it based on our plating techniques. So we brought on some new uh, yeast enrichment broth to increase our sample size and be able to observe the growth of our our targeted wild yeast. Um, But before this, we had to validate the method. And thankfully, it worked. So we knew the test worked. Uh, With that knowledge, we sampled our green beer line, um, which is basically the hard pipe that feeds all of our green beer from uh, our cellars, from the fermenter, to the separator, this kind of one common hard pipe. we sampled at various different points along that line, enriched with our our new yeast media broth, um, and nothing. And even though we still saw our wild yeast post separator, um, so that's how we kind of ruled out the green beer line.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Give us the chain of events as you expanded the scope of your investigation. What did you do differently in regards to sampling?
3: Um, so I think. With everything we had done looking at, you know, kind of stationary parts of the separator um, visually and microbially, and really not coming up with anything, um, our next thought was we needed to start diving into the actual moving parts of the centrifuge. Uh, What's changing during a centrifuge run? And, you know, what valves are opening? What valves are closing? Um, Could they be inoculating these things into our beer? Um so yeah, the next step was really just trying to break down the different processes within the centrifuge during a run. Coming up, once you get to the point where you have literally taken apart the centrifuge twice, you've swabbed a hundred different things, then you start looking at the things that shouldn't be possible, and that's kind of where we ended up.
0: I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas.
1: Support for this podcast is brought to you by
2: BSG is partnering with Leopold Brothers to bring a new line of small-batch, handmade malts to brewers and distillers. Leopold Brothers is a family-owned floor malting operation and distillery and 2020 James Beard Award finalist located in Denver, Colorado. Since Brothers Scott and Todd Leopold first opened their doors in 1999, they have created everything from classic unfiltered lagers to a number of spirits, including a wide array of whiskey styles. Learn more about the upcoming Malt Line by going online to bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact BSG at 1-800-374-2739. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com mbaa. There's one last sponsor I should mention,
0: and that's More Beer. Visit morebeerpro.com to browse ingredients, equipment, and more. And if you like this show, be sure to thank all of our sponsors because it wouldn't be possible without their generous support. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers Calendar District Carolinas has a free technical seminar December 17th. And finally, a conference you can put on your calendar that's likely to actually take place in person. The 2021 Master Brewers Conference will be October 28th through the 30th in Cleveland. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting
2: near you. Master Brewers Association of the Americas offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Keep current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers today. Use discount code BEER20 to save 20% on dues now through December 31st, 2020. Master Brewers. United we brew.
0: the show. You started looking more closely at the discharge process and the research sequence. Your poster mentioned that you increased micro sampling around those operations. There are some obvious locations you could sample in regard to the shoots, but how do you sample
3: product research um, so, one way to do that would be um, as it goes into its discharge phase, it starts to recirculate between the centrifuge in and the centrifuge out, um, kind of holding the beer kind of in a holding pattern while it flushes out the centrifuge of solids. Um, so, right there, we wanted to see during that recirc loop, um, was there anything in that beer right there? And then the other thing we wanted to look at was the, the actual. Discharge from the centrifuge. So we have a an outlet pipe that basically pushes all of the hood spray water with the solids out. Um, So technically, pulling a sample of that should give you a good idea, microbially, of what is in your uh, solids and discharge. And what did that discharge sampling tell you? It told us we found the wild yeast, and there was a lot of it.
0: A lot of it in those solids. In the solids, yep. Okay. And you also, um, not only did you just sa- sample the solids that were discharged, but you also sampled the
3: rinse water. What did you find there? So with the rinse water, um, the water that was rinsing that solid uh, discharged out of the centrifuge, we were pulling the uh, rinse water sample from the soft hose before the, the hood spray. So the hood spray is going to be where that water is entering the centrifuge. Um, that water was clean. And to us, at that point, we were kind of thinking, okay, well, the, the, the rinse water's clean, um, and we're getting a lot of this wild yeast in the discharge. So something between that rinse water and this discharge is where this contamination is occurring.
0: Did the additional sampling uncover anything else interesting?
3: Yeah, so uh, while we were continuing to get this wild yeast popping up in our beer... And we also started getting lactobacillus colonies popping up on our plates, which is every brewer knows is not good for your beer. Um, luckily, we were flash pasteurizing everything still at this point. Um, but this really kind of gave us a kick in the pants to, to really dive deeper and put all of our priority into this issue.
0: Fair enough. You limp along with flash pasteurization all the way until March of 2019, so almost one year after the contamination was identified. What happened in March?
4: Yeah, uh, in March, we had another PM visit come out, um, or another tech come out for another PM visit. Um, And we were armed with the knowledge that something was happening, something weird was happening around discharges, around uh, flushing of the the inner ball. Um, so we decided to target some of the supply ports as far as uh, uh, rinse water goes. So this is this is water, this was city water that was being supplied to the separator and kind of rinsing off the inner bowl as it was opening and ejecting salads from from the bowl. Um, so we targeted those areas. These are you know main connections on the on the separator, plated those, and lo and behold, we started to find some of our targeted wild yeast.
0: So interesting. So that was city water, not filtered, deaerated de- water.
4: That's correct. Um, so we were a little surprised, uh, and you know, along the way, we learned a lot about about the separator and how it works. Um, but we are under the impression that this water should not be making any contact with any product. It's simply used to flush solids that have been ejected from the inner bowl um, and down the pipe. So it shouldn't matter what type of water you use. Uh, well, you shouldn't have to use deaerated water, which is why it was kind of hooked up to our, our city supply. Uh, we did pass it through a filter, um, but that's about it as far as, as, far as filtering goes.
0: OK, so it, it didn't have chlorine in it. So that can help explain the growth. Right. <laughs> Okay, um, you mentioned earlier that you had you had already sampled the rinse water before back when you also sampled the discharge solids, but that plated rinse water came back negative for wild yeast. Um, I guess Joey alluded to that may have been more of an issue from the location of the sampling.
4: Right. So again, we were kind of right, we were looking at the centrifuge operations and and the piece of equipment in general, and we kind of thought you know, we look, we've look. we opened up the centrifuge. There's no way there could be any contamination within the centrifuge itself. It's got to be the water. It's got to be the supply water. So we plated the supply water upstream of the, of the separator just to, you know, uh, see if our hunch was correct. And as the micro came back clean. So we kind of narrowed down on the path of that water to the separator and, and understand where any wild use is being picked up.
0: All right, so once you find that there's this, you know, you find the actual source of this contamination, you find where this wild use is coming from, what do you do then?
4: Yeah, we eventually found uh, this contamination in our hood spray line. So that is these kind of thin hard pipe lines connecting the water supply to our separator hood. Um, Once we found it there, we directed our, our lead cellarman to go ahead and blast that thing and clean it. Let's get it cleaned out and hooked back up, and hopefully that'll solve our problem. And did it? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Uh, well, I guess if you want... Well, let me back up before I start putting people down. But um, <laughs> we, uh, we asked our lead sellerman to, to clean the part, and they went ahead and cleaned it. Or So they said, I think they just dropped in the COP pod um, and put it back on. We continued to see wild yeast contamination. Uh, We went back to the hood spray line, and uh, the quality team looked at it visually, uh, and we saw a bunch of gnarly, black, sticky biofilm just all clogged up in there.
3: It was so bad, even I think the COP pod couldn't take care of it. So it was something that just like really needed a manual scrubbing with some kind of chemical. Wow. Okay.
0: Um, So... I realize folks listening can't see these lines and might not know what they look like if they don't have a centrifuge in their brewery. But we're talking about a very accessible, easy to remove pipe and tubing, nothing that requires extensive disassembly or a technician, hidden in plain sight, you might say. When you found that this was the source, was that a huge relief or was it infuriating that the issue ended up being something so simple? Both.
3: Both. It was one of those things where yeah, definitely when, both. when you're, <laughs> you're told so many times that it should not be contacting beer. I mean, yeah. initially we were, we didn't even think twice about not checking it after you're just told that it should not be beer contact. And then um, once you get to the point where you have literally taken apart the centrifuge twice, you've swabbed a hundred different things, then you start looking at the things that shouldn't be possible. And that's kind of where we ended up. How do you think this biofilm formed
0: in that location in the first place? And what are you going to do to ensure it never happens again?
3: Um, so, we have some theories. We have nothing proven yet on how um, it could have gotten up there. But um, as you may know, Bourbon County Stout, one of our biggest brands, is a very viscous stout. Um, and we're trying to figure out a way to see how it, that beer could have gotten up into that port. Um, Just thinking about it and thinking about the structure of it, it almost doesn't seem possible, but it's there. So it was a really tough one to figure out. Um, The tech couldn't really think of any idea on how it could get up there either. Uh, But we have now added that hood spray line to our sanitation list to be taken apart every two weeks um, and deep cleaned, uh, manually scrubbed. So that's just part of our regular sanitation list now.
0: This is um, maybe a long shot idea, but you know, we're already in that territory, so I'll say it. Um, do you have any backflow prevention on that line?
4: Not that I know of. I think, I think it's just uh, an open line. Um,
0: so the reason I say that is, and I think I've mentioned this on another episode, but one brewery I worked in um, years ago... Uh, they didn 't have backflow prevention on the water line that was um, supplying the bottle filler rinse, and basically uh that huge pump fired up and was pulling you know rinse water as hard as it could at the same time, somebody in the brew house was I think rinsing a heat exchanger or something, and it actually pulled. Debris from the heat exchanger all the way back into the filler bowl and like totally clogged the entire filler. And yep. I just wonder if it's possible that you know it could have sucked some of those um, solids from the chute or whatever you know back into that line if it doesn't have backflow per- prevention on it.
3: Yeah, the um, the the hood spray hard piping, the thinner hard piping uh, from the hood bowl was connected to a soft piping that led to a few other things that eventually made it to the rinse water source. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wound up, fi- we kind of back traced it. Once we found it in the hard piping, we back traced the, uh, the hose prior to it and then back one more time. And we saw it in soft hosing before it, um, a little bit in the next soft hosing down. Yeah. Uh, so once it gets up into that area and then it just kind of slides down that hose, I mean, it's, it's just going to be dosing every beer you have after that.
0: I assume you um, you were able to stop flash pasteurizing everything at this point af- after this, or did you continue doing that as a because you were so used to it now?
4: <laughs> uh, well, we continued a little bit just to make sure that our problem was gone, but we went back and repeated some of our sampling, or increased sampling around discharges where we saw kind of spikes in these wild yeast uh, counts. Um, and going back after the cleaning, the deep clean, everything came back clean. We were at that point convinced that we had eradicated our wild yeast source and we went back to normal operation.
0: That was Alex, Nam, and Joey today here on the Master Brewers podcast. If you want more details, including lots of photos, check the show notes for a link to their World Brewing Congress poster. Also, boundless access to WBC Connect's 2020 content is now available for purchase to those who did not attend this year's Congress. That's more than 150 hours of session recordings and 131 posters. I joined District Mid-Atlantic back when it was dominated by large breweries, and I was often one of the only craft brewers in attendance. I'm so glad I joined. That membership has been incredibly impactful to my career, and I've made so many lifelong friends from those meetings. If you're not already a member, I highly encourage you to join. And there's no time like the present because new members can use the promo code BEER20 or the link in the show notes to save 20% on dues if you register before the end of the year. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast?